When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I think there's something really appealing about the idea of an average Joe tricking Graham Sunes and getting to play in an EPL game, which is probably many men's dreams, and he, and he did it. Welcome to Bench, the podcast that brings you stories that are sidelined in the world of sport. Stories that are inspiring, harrowing, and often absurd. I'm Robbie Knox, formerly of Soccer AM and a lifetime football fan. Today we're looking into the bizarre story of how one man found himself living the dreams of millions worldwide, playing professional football in the most competitive and most watched division in the world, the Premier League. There was just one issue, however. He'd conned his way in. This is the tale of Ali Dyer, who signed for Southampton Football Club in 1996 after a mysterious phone call to then-manager Graham Souness from someone claiming to be the great George Ware, recommending the ability of his cousin Ali. We, we said come down and train with us for a week or so and see, see what's what, so we're looking. Without further ado, Ali Dyer was signed without ever having his footballing prowess or pedigree examined, and on the 23rd of November 1996, what is now footballing folklore took place. Next thing I knew, I was watching him on Match of the Day and watched him playing for Southampton, which was pretty unbelievable at the time. But before we get into that fateful day, I'm joined by sports journalist Kelly Nucky, who succeeded in actually tracking down the now near-mythical Ali Dyer. Kelly, thanks for joining me. Well, thank you for having me. And I would like to say that despite that intro, we don't know for sure if he's a fraud. We also know that his name is pronounced Ali Ja. Ali Ja. This is, this is shocking news, isn't it? Because he's, he's been the subject of songs. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, Ali Ja wouldn't go with liar so well. <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh, first question then, how, how did um, uh, an American end up tracking down the most notorious not con man, but maybe con man in football. So Bleacher Report has an office in the UK, and they want to do exclusively football stories, proper football, English football. So um, they assigned me. They said, you know, you were investigative journalist at ESPN in the United States for 29 years, and I was over here now. So they said, okay, let's see if she can find this guy. Um, it was maybe six weeks before the anniversary, the 20th anniversary of the game. You know, I started, first of all, by wondering 
if it was true or not. Because this game happened in 1996. It was really before the internet was born. And everything was just parroting the same quote-unquote facts all the time. Right off the bat, I found out that, you know, calling, I believe it was the Football Federation, he spelled his name A-L-Y, D-I-A. And so I thought, okay, well, if the media is treating this like a fact, the most basic fact of all, spelling of his name, then maybe other stuff isn't true too. Where did that take you? He was allegedly from Dakar in Senegal. So I said, maybe they have Reddit or chat boards. And so, you know, Google Translate was my best friend. And I just went into papers and chat rooms from Senegal and was translating from Wolof to English. I didn't even know. It took hours and hours. But at one point, I found what seemed to be a guy who was a classmate of his in middle school. And what did you do then? You'd, you'd already had someone on the ground there. How did you get to finding out stuff? So Sharif was my translator, and uh, he had a friend who was a driver. And just so for two weeks, you know, you're driving around, you go to the school that Ali uh, allegedly went to, you go to, you know, you just ask everybody who you come into contact with, do you have any ideas? Do you have any ideas? One of his middle school classmates said, Oh, I think his family used to live over by the the park. And uh, we went over there and we're just asking people in the street, you know. And one of them said, yeah, his parents live just down the road there. They used to, we we think they still live there. And I'm like, there's no way. There is no way. And then sure enough, open the door, come on in. Did they know why you were looking for him? She thinks of her son as her son, the man who got a master's of business administration at, you know, San Francisco State, I believe it was, and somebody who had worked in uh, Qatar for a number of years. And, uh, you know, she didn't think of him as a footballer. They really believed in their son. And so they were sort of happy to remember the memories. But then when we started talking about Southampton, I mean, the mother's pain was so obvious. They had never talked about it with him. It was like this giant elephant in the room. They never had a conversation about it. So when they called him that night, and they had already given me his number, it was the first time they talked about it. So he he phoned you up? He did. I was taking a nap (laughs) on my couch in Fulham because I was exhausted. I was writing the story. It had a different ending because I hadn't heard from him. And uh, I answered the phone, and he said, Kelly. And I said, yes. He said, "Uh, this is the man who you've been searching for. And, you know, I said, hey, hi, Ali. And I immediately searched for a pen and paper because I thought, okay, here goes the story. So, uh, yeah, he was on his way to the airport. He only had a little time to chat. You know, I didn't get through every question I had for him, but I was trying off the top of my head, obviously, to just get through the most salient ones that, readers would want to know. Um, and he did say, you know, he'd give me a call in another day, which would have been the the day before I think it was published. Um, but then he changed his mind about doing so. So um, and that's fine, because I think I think we got enough information. And I still I honestly think we don't know a whole lot more than we knew before, except, you know, maybe he wasn't the quote unquote fraud that everyone says he is. What's his personality like? Could you get that across in, in the limited contact you had with him? You know, I don't think you can judge anyone by the short amount of time and the short amount of communication we had. Um, he was he was speaking so rapid fire. He was really angry about how he's been portrayed. But then he pulled back and he said he'd call me after the plane landed. And, you know, he probably thought about it a bit more and changed his mind. But, you know, it's been uh, his dream, like 
any young boy, I think, in England or many places in the world was to be a professional footballer. And if you see where he came from and that the guy did actually achieve this dream, even if it was just for one day, it's pretty impressive that he left Dakar and became a businessman and got an MBA. So, yeah, I mean, he, he was really hurt. You know, he wanted to be a pro footballer. He put aside his studies, which in their culture it was so important for their son to be a professional and that they let him pursue his football dream. It's a reflection on the parents, what their son does and what he achieves, and that he was taking this time out of his career to to pursue a pro football goal, which how many people make it? Very, very few. And he did. Well, let's go through what we know or what's been reported as having happened. Graeme Souness, manager of Southampton at the time, got a phone call out the blue from one of the best footballers in the world, George Weah, apparently, saying, my cousin wants to come and play for Southampton, which already is a very odd thing. Is that true? So let's put it this way. George Weah said he had never heard of Ali Jha or Ali Daya, right? He had Mm -hmm. said that to reporters who had went up to him and asked him about him. Now, according to Ali Jha's sister... They knew each other when they all lived in France, when uh, George, I guess, played for Paris Saint-Germain, and I think Ali played, he says he played for a lower-level club there. You know, according to Ali, it was his UK-based African agent that got a hold of Southampton. So, you know, this is very convoluted, right, and long-winded. I don't know that we will ever get to the bottom of that. Okay, so he turned up at Southampton. Now, Matt Letizia, Southampton legend, has, has talked about this and said... He thought it was someone who won a contest. We turn up for the game the next day, we're playing against Leeds, and um, he's on the subs bench, he's named on the bench. And that's like, well, that's a bit strange. <laughs> Didn't look that good yesterday. Well, after about 20 minutes, um, I get a calf strain, and it's actually me that comes off so that Ali Dia can, uh, can go on. And it was unbelievable. He ran around the pitch like Bambi on ice. It was very, very embarrassing to watch. And just after half-time, Graham Sooners actually had to take him off again because he was that bad. Now, there's not much footage on the internet. 53 seconds. 53 seconds of the game. How many people at the match? 15,000? 20,000? Yeah, I think reports said there were about 15,000 there. But everyone seems to know about how bad he was. What do we know about his performance? So I don't think we actually know the answer to that. Sooners never put any mention of Ali Jha in his book during his time, you know, with Southampton, which is, you know, it's arguably probably the most memorable thing he did while at the club there, right? So how much of it is just people liking to be able to say they were there for that moment or he actually was terrible? My take on it is the reason that he's it's so notorious is because he was a substitute who came on and then got re-substituted. Yes. If he hadn't been taken off by Souness, would we all remember it? I mean, lots of people have bad games. Right. In football matches, and maybe play once or twice for a club. He almost scored once. Yeah. So if he'd scored, played the whole game, would we still be talking about it? Possibly not. So in some ways, he's got a bad reputation as a con man. But isn't it the sort of thing that everyone, that a lot of people dream of doing, is getting a chance to play for their football team? And he just managed to make it happen. I mean, I I, I really like him. I think he's 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 great. The jersey is still available online for seventy nine pounds. I mean, you can get an Ali Jaw 
uh, Jersey. Um, Southampton themselves reached out to me and asked me to reach out to him to see if he would come to a game there. I don't remember, actually, the details of what they were asking him to do, but they even recognized the cult status of it all. You know, uh, I think there's something really appealing about the idea of an average Joe tricking Graham Sunes and getting to play in an EPL game, which is probably many men's dreams, and he, and he did it. But was he that fake? He obviously takes umbrage of the fact that, you know, his reputation is he deceived. He was the one, according to the stories, that called and pretended he was George Weah. And, you know, that con, which, you know, as a Muslim, to say, you know, for his parents, to say that he lied to get in an EPL game, that would be really terrible for them. And that's something that he really cares about. Um, But to, I don't know, to the rest of us, you're right. There is something sort of appealing of, can you imagine if this guy was that cunning and he could get in? I mean, if we only knew how to do that, you know, you could have been on the pitch. How dare you? (laughs) I could do a job. Um, What do you, do you think it could happen now? Or do you think things have moved on to? No, heck no. Are you kidding? No. First of all, the George Way of calling, I just really, that would be something that would be checked on, right? I think his background, meaning Ali Jha's background, would be checked. You know, I, I just, I don't know what kind of, I guess what I'm concerned about is, you know, everyone picks on Ali Ja. Why aren't more people saying, Graham Sunnis is a really smart, successful manager. Why was this cool for him to do, to see him in a five-a-side one game and throw him in there? I mean... That, to me, doesn't make sense. I think football at the time was a lot more, for want of a better word, tin pot than people remember. It wasn't like the Premier League money came along in 1992. I think the game changed so quickly and the clubs didn't necessarily keep up with that. When I was I was working at Soccer AM from 2000, 2007, and we quite often have to deal with press officers. And for some clubs, the press officer might have been there for 10 years and would have been the kit man or something who had two jobs in the olden days. And then... He wasn't equipped to run the press office of a, of a big club or something like that. I think there was quite a lot of that in the game at the time. I, I think people look at it now and think this is this massive multi-million pound thing, but there probably weren't the systems in place at the time. So he, he played for Gateshead, played a few games for them, and then disappeared. Do we know what happened to him after he left Gateshead up until now? So I know that he had played in uh, Helsinki and some lower league in France. But I think at this point, after Southampton, it all just sort of, because he so, pretty much disappeared after Gateshead for the most part. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, the guy, the guy became a legend right after Southampton, right? And then he just fell off the face of the earth. And by the way, the coolest thing for me on this story was the dude was living in London the whole time. Like everyone was looking everywhere. They're like, oh, is he in Saudi Arabia? Is he, you know, we heard he was in rural France. And it's like, nah, dude's in London. So when you found him, he was living in London? Yes, on his way to the airport to Singapore to, to close some sort of a deal. He was calling me on the way to the airport. But I'm laughing. I'm like... You know, when you see, when you're researching him, all these different journalists on, again, English message boards and everything, just saying, does anyone know where he is and trying to track him down? And meanwhile, the guy is 
you know, somewhere in London where somebody could jump on a tube and find him if there was any way to know that he was in London, which, of course, there really wasn't. So you've been using your um, Bleach Report budget to go to Dakar, Paris, and there he is just down the road after all Exactly, this <laughs> exactly. As a professional footballer, you obviously don't want to be known as the biggest con man or the worst, uh, the worst football ever to play for a club. Uh, he had the chance when he went to Gateshead. He said he was going to try and set the record straight and prove he was a good player. Has he done that? I mean, he's sort of disappeared. Yeah, he he never had a chance to do so, right? He played for Gateshead, and then at some point, it was time to move on with a professional career. So I think he just said, well, this isn't happening. It's time to move to plan B and do what my mom wants me to do. He's not a doctor, but he he, uh, got his business degree and works in business. Could he have done more to diffuse things, though, and and I think the mystery around it is one of the things it's sort of perpetuated for so long. One of the things he told his mother when she called on my behalf the first time I met her was, don't trust the media, they act nice to your face, and then they say terrible things behind your back. I think he was so stung by the criticism. You know, even Leticia said Ali went to training the next day and got treatment, and then he never saw him again. So when you get Leticia ripping you and, and Sunis ripping you, his personality is is such that, you know, obviously he said, I'll have a chance to prove myself, I'm going to try. But then he was at Gateshead and then sort of fell off the map. So he didn't have a chance to do so. I mean, how else do you rebut what somebody said about you unless you actually have a chance to prove otherwise? So, um I think he did the best he could. I think he was also so stunned and scarred and embarrassed and ashamed by the criticism that he just wanted to disappear. And he did it very well. He did. Until you came along. That's right. Yeah, it's a bit like the film Searching for Sugar Man, isn't it? But a footballing version of it. Yeah. You mentioned before when we were chatting that he, he suggested making a film of it. Yeah, he did. You know, uh, when Southampton reached out to me last year, they wanted to speak to him. And I said, well, I'll pass along any message. So they wrote up a a letter and I just forwarded it to him. And he declined and, you know, he laughed that they wanted to get a hold of him. And he joked with me uh, via text message, maybe you and I one day will do a film about this. And I laughed back. And this morning, actually, I I texted the number. Who knows if he still has the same number? It's been, gosh, a year and year and a half uh, since I've texted with him, I didn't hear back. I wanted to give him a chance to say, do you have anything you want to say on this podcast? But I didn't hear back. So we don't know where he is now. He's, he's disappeared again. Do we still think he's in London? Or we, oh, we I wouldn't know? say he's disappeared. I think he's living his life. <laughs> My God. That's not what we're after. Anyway. What we're, we're, we're drama. That's he's right. gone underground. That's right. He's now wearing number 66. <laughs> There's a few other little bits around this. Harry Redknapp said at the time that he'd had a call from someone claiming to be George Wyatt. I didn't believe it and put the phone down. There's a photograph of Ali Jar with David Ginola. They claim they're friends. And when David Ginola has been questioned about this, said it's the kind of photo that got taken with me in a nightclub. It's just, a, a, I guess, a fan who's come up to meet him. I guess what I'm going to ask you, and I know you're not going to have the answer to this, but is <laughs> he a malicious... Best, that's the best kind of question. <laughs> is he a malicious con man, or is he just a bloke who took a chance... Hyperbolically, my thought is is that there's probably little truth on both sides. I think that he got a chance to play because, as you mentioned now, uh, and I didn't know this at the time, that even though the EPL was a uh, obviously a league that every footballer would aspire to, 
uh, there were some kind of holes in the communication and, and the staffing, right? I, it wouldn't have occurred to me that in 1996 it would have been that fluid, shall we mm. say, right? I don't know how it went from, okay, a guy didn't play very well to the biggest joke in EPL history, you know, and the we're always making the lists of worst EPL player of all time. It's odd, isn't it? Because that's odd being a grafter, getting yourself in somewhere and taking a chance. In any other industry, that would be respected, wouldn't it? Sort of fake it till you make it sort of thing. It depends on if the company lost any money, if the person (laughs) at the helm messed up. But uh, no, I think he has a, I don't know, there's, look, for him, it's embarrassing because he, he loved football and he wanted to play it. And he obviously, like anyone, wanted people to think he was good. It's one of those things in sports, right? It's, um, I went into, when I was working on the story, I'd run into a bunch of guys, and no matter what football team they supported, I just said, and again, I was pronouncing it the way everyone pronounced it at yep. the time. I just said, uh, do you, have you ever heard of Ali Daya? And then, oh, and I swear to God, they knew the date. They knew the teams that played. They knew that he had almost scored. They knew what Letizia said, what Sunis said. And I thought, my God, you know, so, and they laughed at him. But in the same breath, they thought it was so cool that, quote unquote, in their opinion, one of them got onto a pitch. Yeah, and people still sing now. Southampton games, they'll sing, still sing, Ali Dyer is a liar, is a liar. Sing it, sing it. Ali Dyer is a liar, is a liar. <laughs> I wonder how difficult it is now for George Weyer. Whenever he phones anyone up, no one's going to believe it's him, are they? They're going to go, this is George Weyer funny. They go, yeah, all right, mate, fine, and hang I think, up. I think George Weyer has a lot more important things to worry <laughs> about now. I think the Ali Jar story is such a weird moment of footballing folklore. There's so many elements in it from George Weyer to Graham Souness. How much did he play? How much was he there? Was he as bad as he said, considering we've only got 53 seconds on the internet to watch and most people probably have never seen the game itself? For me, I remember him fondly, and I think a lot of football fans do. And I think his impression of how he's received probably isn't quite true. I think most people have quite a lot of affection for a man who did what a lot of people wanted to do and just got himself in a Premier League game, possibly with not having the ability. Kelly, lovely to meet you. So nice to have met you. This episode of Bench was produced by Jake Warren, Sandra Ferrari, with additional research and help from Jake Atejevich. If you want to hear more episodes of Benched, make sure you subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Google, or your favourite podcast monger. That's all from me, Robbie Knox. Thanks for listening. 